Well, we're going to wrap up our Hot Takes series today on the theology of John Wesley. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my friends Ryan and Hillary. They live in Austin, Texas. And several months ago, there was an unusual and unseasonable series of storms that came through in the month of February. And I don't know if any of you have friends or family in Texas, but had a massive effect on the power grid. Uh, From February 10th to 20th, over 4.5 million homes were without power meaning they were without water and heat as well. This is a picture of one of Hillary's kids shoveling snow in Austin, Texas into a bucket that they would then melt in their kitchen in order for them to have drinking water. And they were, at this point, they had power and they were, felt lucky to have that. I mean, just the situation was really dire. Um, in the wake of the storms, it was determined that the cause of the power outages was inadequately winterized natural gas equipment. They don't get a lot of ice in Texas, so who would have been ready for that? The power grid simply couldn't handle the conditions created by this series of storms. Damages from the blackouts were estimated at $195 billion. In our scripture today, uh, we're going to read about storm preparation. Last week, we talked about saying yes to Jesus being the starting line, not the finish line. Well, what what happens after that? What happens after uh, we receive Christ? How do we keep making progress? Uh, How do we remain in our faith no matter what the circumstances are? As Tess eloquently said earlier, both Tess and Esther, in one of my favorite scriptures, Jesus describes an approach for how to handle the storms of life. And so what I hope we'll discover together today is that the means of grace are how we build the life on God. During this Hot Take series, we've been looking at the theology of John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And theology is simply a word that means what we think or believe about God. And a hot take is a controversial uh, opinion. And so I've kind of been sharing some of mine with you. So I've got one more for you today because I have a very firm personal policy, and it is this. I don't pay money to be scared. Haunted houses? Nope. Scary movies? Nope. Dangerous things like skydiving, like bungee jumping or what? Nope, I don't do it. I don't pay money to be scared. Closely related to this policy is the second one, which is I don't pay money to be stressed out. Like I've never been to an escape room. I can lose my keys at my house for free. <laughs> like all these movies come out and it's like some, somebody's kid gets kidnapped. Why would I pay money to go be stressed out? I'm just not going to do it. So for all you folks that love Halloween and love scary things, I don't understand you. I love you, but I don't pay money to be scared. So there's my hot take. Uh, uh, In Wesley's time, some of his sermons were quite controversial. They were hot takes. We talked the last two weeks about seeing free grace as opposed to predestination. And last week we talked about how God works through prevenient justifying and sanctifying grace. We're going to talk about those a little bit today, but I encourage you to check those messages out if you miss those. Throughout this Hot Take series, it's been my goal uh, to simply describe what makes Methodism distinct. It's not to put down or, or dishonor or, or degrade other denominations or cherish things that people believe. Uh, what I have found to be true is that most theology is simply a matter of emphasis. Like, we all do it. There's certain scriptures that, that we really cling to and that resonate with us, and we kind of stick to those. In fact, when I first sat down to write this, I originally picked a different scripture from the book of John, chapter 15, the vine and the branches, and I sat down and was like, wait a minute. 
I did this in January. <laughs> so I didn't think I could run it back. And then I thought, well, no one at the worship planning meeting remembered that I did it. And then I thought, neither did I. So we still, we all have our favorites. I do too. I do too. And I also want to freely admit that all of our theology is, is simply doing our best to understand a God whose ways are higher than our ways. So all of this is our best shot. All of this is our best shot. Uh, one of the things I love about Wesley's theology is that it cuts through kind of a this or that false duality or, or uh, where a lot of people tend to say, well, it's got to be this or it's got to be one thing or the other. Wesley's theology is able, the way he viewed God, it allows us to hold two things in tension. Uh, for a lot of people, there's a big debate about what's more important about Christianity, what you believe or how you behave. And for Wesley, the answer is both. And this approach was patterned after Jesus himself, who tells us this in Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. So according to Jesus, there's two elements to being a disciple. Hearing and doing. Hearing his words and putting them into practice. African theologian Tokenbo Adeyomo said, If people are just hearing Jesus' words but not doing them, the church is built on sand. Knowledge must translate into action and theology into life. Now I picked this unknowingly picked a Sunday when my kids would hear this, but it's like if I say to my kids, well, you need to go clean your room. And they say, I know. Like, <laughs> nothing's really changed, right? And, and that's kind of how it can be uh, with our faith. Hearing and doing, both of these elements are important, but to try and emphasize one over the other is a false duality. We don't have to choose between the two. Well, what if we do only one? Jesus said if we, don't, if we don't put them into practice, if we only hear his words, but then don't actually do anything with them, then whatever we're trying to build won't hold up to the storms of life. It's built on sand. It's like a power grid that can't handle the stresses of a storm. It won't sustain and it will fall with a great crash. It's interesting that Jesus uses a, an analogy of home construction because many scholars believe that Jesus would have followed in his father's footsteps of carpentry so it's quite possible that Jesus was speaking not just out of theory, but out of experience on what it means to build something. We're all building some type of life. So the question is, what are we building it on? The two types of builders could have both worked equally hard on quality construction. That's not the issue. The difference between the wise and foolish builder was the, the selection of the building site on rock or on sand. We have the scripture hanging up in our home. Unless the Lord builds the house, the workers labor in vain. And that's a reminder to me that it's very easy to find yourself working hard or it's quite possible to work hard and, and be very busy, try and make good choices and still be building your life on the sand of your own efforts. These will be tested by the conditions we each must face in life. Disappointment, betrayal, loss, 
unpredictability, failure. This is a real fun list, isn't it? Uh, We all have to face mortality at some point, our own, people we love. There's a lot at stake. So how do we ensure that we are both hearing Jesus' words and doing them? Because when, not if, when the storms of life come, how can our faith sustain? How can it last? How can we be building something that can stand up to the test? What does it look like to build our house on the rock? Friends, the means of grace are how we build a life on God. One of John Wesley's sermons was called The Means of Grace, and that was the inspiration for this message today. He defined the means of grace this way. Outward signs, words, or actions ordained of God and appointed for this end to be the ordinary channels whereby he might convey to people preventing, justifying, or sanctifying grace. In other words, these are practices we can do to attain, recover, or grow in our faith. These means of grace were so crucial to Wesley's version of how to be a practicing Christian, it actually became kind of a joke at first, right? He had all these methods that he would show uh, people, and then once those caught on, people would like mock them. So this is like a 1700s sick burn, apparently, but they started to call Wesley's followers Methodists, like as an insult. Well, there go the Methodists, and the name stuck. So that's, that's how we got to be what we're called. I can just sense the awe from you right now. So there's a, there's a, there go those Methodists. Again, it, trash talk was odd in the 18th century. I don't know. But that's how we came to be called what we are. The name stuck. These methods of prayer, of reading the Bible, and of worship. So the means of grace are the ways that God continues to shape our hearts and lives. Just like a musician practices and performs just like an athlete trains and competes. So the Christian has methods to hear and do what Jesus calls us to. And there's a long list we could talk about uh, in terms of the ways we can do this. Wesley said this, the chief of these means are prayer, whether in secret or with the great congregation, searching the scriptures, which implies reading, hearing, and meditating thereon, and receiving the Lord's Supper, what we would call communion eating bread and drinking wine in remembrance of him. And these we believe to be ordained of God as the ordinary channels of conveying his grace to the souls of men. So if we want to build a life on God, it's like we've been given all the tools and all the supplies. What are we going to do with them? If we want to experience God's grace, then we first have to go to God in prayer. Wesley said this, excuse me, Jesus said this earlier in chapter seven. Yeah, appreciate that. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now prayer can be tricky because it ain't a magic eight ball or or a Harry Potter wand or or like this divine ATM where, where we try and make a withdrawal. Sometimes prayer is what we do while we wait on God. And especially when we start out, we may not know how to pray or or what to pray for. That's part of the reason we pray together in worship, because we know people are at different places. We also have, through our website, a a prayer list you can get on, and you can be emailed what to pray for as people share what they would like prayer about in our community. 
So if you're interested in starting off in prayer, I'd recommend a book by a Methodist bishop named Reuben, Reuben P. Job, and it's called When You Pray. When You Pray by Reuben Job. In, uh, in John chapter 5, Jesus said that the scriptures testify about him. This is another means that God uses to reveal more about who God is and who we're called to be by reading the Bible. Wesley said, all who desire the grace of God are to wait for it in searching the scriptures. I don't know of another cherished and, and treasured document, another, like, no document has been studied as much in human history as the Bible. I don't know of anything else that has stood the test of time quite like the Bible. These stories and teachings shape us, and, 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 and I've heard the phrase that eventually the Bible reads you. Uh, that sounds a little scary. What I take that to mean is these things stick with you. They shape who you are. And, and it's like sometimes it's just the right thing to kind of have in your pocket. I remember in middle school, I'd get made, man, if you can survive middle school, you can do anything, by the way. So you're, if you're making it, if you're, if you're not quite sure if you're making it, just keep going. Humans are very cruel to each other. In middle school may be one of the toughest times as we're all trying to figure out who it is we are. Well, I'd get made fun of for being a pastor's kid or being super Christian or goody two-shoes. In retrospect, I don't understand that insult either. Like, what's wrong with wearing two shoes? I don't know. I, I, I don't understand. Uh, I guess they didn't call me a Methodist, so I was all right. Uh, but no, I'd get made fun of essentially for being a Christian, for being a pastor's kid. And impressed upon my mind was Jesus saying, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Even as an adult, the tried and true words of scripture can be held close. In my own life and in countless others' lives, um, when we lose someone we love and there's little comfort, what is there to say? Well, the, the words of Psalm 116 came to mind. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Or even in my very best days, on days like the 4th of July, when I got the, the meat is in the fridge ready to grill, the fireworks stash is ready to light, life doesn't get much better than this. Even on the best days, I'm reminded that this pales in comparison because what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. The wisdom that scripture reveals to us can be a light for our feet and a lamp for our path. This is part of why we study the scriptures together. Whether that's here in worship or as part of a small group or a Bible study, we're gonna be launching those bad boys back in the fall. Can't wait to get started. But if you're ready to go today and you're like, well, where do I start? Download the Bible app. Go to bible.com and just look for a plan. I could pick some out for you. You can get in touch with me, but it's, it's hard to miss on there. Just download the Bible app. There's a great tool that you can use today. Now, in addition to prayer and searching the scriptures, Wesley said that all who desire an increase in the grace of God are to wait for it in partaking of the Lord's Supper. For this also is a direction himself hath given. In other words, Jesus told us to do it. I don't know about you. Sometimes this faith stuff can be a little hard kind of tough to keep going, kind of difficult to wrap your mind around. Every once in a while, it's nice to have a tangible reminder 
of how much God loves us. It's a good thing that Jesus knows that we are forgetful people, that we need reminders from time to time because that's what he gave us to remember him by, this meal of bread and wine. We live in a world that invites doubt and distraction. That's why it's good to be reminded of God's presence with us through that meal that we share together. One of my favorite seminary professors, Bob Stamps, used to say, faith needs something to do. Faith needs something to touch. So that's why on the second Sunday of every month, we celebrate communion. Throughout the pandemic, um, it was really neat to see Pastor Sherry kind of have this commitment to what we called curbside communion. Uh, And I'll never forget the fact uh, that we had folks who hadn't gone anywhere. I mean, just go back to quarantine mode in your mind those months. And we would have folks who hadn't been anywhere all month, nowhere. But they came, they drove to church to get communion. And I'm very proud uh, that the chain of us offering communion was never broken. Even if we had to do it a little different. This is so important because we trace it all the way back to Jesus who said in Luke 22, do this in remembrance of me. Now, we don't believe there's anything magic about King's Hawaiian bread or Welch's grape juice, although we haven't used those in a while. I know we miss them. Please don't email me. Please don't email me. I I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, We don't think there's anything magic about the elements we use, but we do believe that Christ shares his presence with us in a special way when we share that meal together. This is a tangible reminder of God's love And and it's something you can physically do. And so if you've never made a faith commitment, that could be a commitment you make. Every step down that aisle is a step of faith. Whether you serve yourselves at home, that's something you can do. Maybe for the first time or to recommit your life to Christ. Every time we take communion, it's like we're re-upping. It's a reminder. It's a meal to celebrate his death and resurrection. So prayer, scripture, communion, These are three of the means of grace, and there's plenty more that Wesley described, but we're trying to hit the highlights today. Uh, If you're interested in finding out more about Wesley's approach to life and faith, I've got a couple uh, resources I want to recommend to you. The Means of Grace by Andrew Thompson is a great book. Calvin versus Wesley. We talked about some of the predestination stuff at the beginning of this series. And Recapturing the Wesley's Vision by Paul Wesley Chilcote. Now, That's how you know the dude's really serious. His middle name is Wesley, right? I have literally thanked God my parents didn't name me Wesley. A black hole would just open up and it would just be too much, too much. Then I really would have gotten made fun of in middle school. Uh, Friends, it's no coincidence. Scripture, prayer, communion. That's what we do at church. We do it together in worship. Hearing Jesus and doing what he said is not an individual exercise. It's a team sport. In that way, we can be a means of grace to each other that you can be reminded, ah, I'm not the only one who didn't understand this weird scripture or I'm not the only one struggling with fill in the blank. Now on the flip side, the community of the church can celebrate life with you and together we can be the hands and feet of Christ for one another and for this community through all the ups and downs of the journey. A few weeks ago, Pastor Sherry and I, we had the honor of, of leading a funeral of a dear member of our congregation and, and a retired pastor. 
And we also were blessed to tag team it uh, with a, a former pastor here whose name is John Howard. He just retired from serving in Holt. And afterwards, I was able to chat with, with John as we had a meal down the hall with the family. And, and I'm just fascinated by the arc of his life. We kind of got on the subject of, of what he did before he was a pastor. And John served in the Air Force for decades. You want to talk about weathering the storm? This dude served in Vietnam and Desert Storm. Think of all the stuff he's seen. This man who's seen so much continued in his sanctification, continued to grow in grace after he was out of the service. Now he became a pastor and I want to be very clear. Something I hope you hear me say often is that you don't have to be a pastor to be in ministry. Now that happens to be what John did and he was a good one. He not only served our country with his career, but served God and people with his whole life. I admire and aspire to be like Pastor John. He spent a lifetime growing in grace, even by many standards. He could have had several excellent reasons to kind of sit back and call it good and put his feet up and say, I've done enough. He's someone who's built his life on God. Wesley's hot take was that these are the tools by which we experience provenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. God working in our lives before we're aware of it, being pardoned and forgiven by God, and continuing to grow and be more like Jesus. The hot take is that God can use these normal things that are available to us to help us hear Jesus and put his words into practice as we seek to possess the mind of Christ and to walk as he walked. Wesley would tell you that's the goal of Christianity, to see the world as Jesus did, to have his same mindset, and to walk as he walked, to live like he did. And it's through these means of grace that we can be in the process of being transformed into being more like Jesus. Prayer, scripture, and worship through communion. These are the things that help us build a life on God. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today, for the chance to be together. That we have an appointment with you on a holiday weekend, no less. God, thank you for these folks who have made worship a priority. Thank you for the gift of this community that we can come and, and just experience like, oh, we're not the only people trying to do this. We're not the only ones. God, help us wherever we find ourselves on our faith journey to keep going. Whatever storms of life we have faced or are in the middle of or just around the corner, God, help us to build our lives on your firm foundation. That we wouldn't look within to be satisfied with life, to try and do it on our own. That we wouldn't base our worth or our progress on what other people think of us or how well we're measuring by the world's standards but that we would build a life on the solid rock of your word, of your presence, and of being together in Christian community. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to be faithful to you. Amen.